Good morning. Joining me now is Teresa Rooney, and she is an author of The Guide to Humane Critter Control, Natural Non-Toxic Pest Solutions to Protect Your Yard and Garden. Well, Teresa, you are also a master gardener. I am. Good morning, Karen. Thanks for asking me to be on your show. I'm really excited about it. I am a master gardener, yes, since 2000. What is your expertise in, besides being a master gardener, for you to write this book on the humane critter control? You know, I grew up gardening my whole life, and we've always had animals as pets. And um, I've always looked at things as more of a nature-based kind of thing. So sometimes it seems in conflict with my master gardening because I'm, I'm just more of a live-and-let-live kind of a person, and how can I go with this and not use chemicals and, and be nature-based and nice to animals and nice to our plants and nice to our environment. So I have a small yard in South Minneapolis where I don't deal with deer, but I do deal with a lot of raccoons and squirrels and and possums and I have chickens that I have to guard these animals from and the squirrels take all the fruit and I've had you know human pests and all kinds of stuff so it's just been (laughs) a continuing learning thing that I've had. Well I live in Mankato and here I've got deer I've got rabbits I've got voles I've got insects Mm -hmm. my neighbor down the street had koi and doesn't anymore because of raccoons now I have koi but they haven't found Mm -hmm. my pond yet so All sorts of things, and that's the bane of many gardeners' existence. You put in a lot of time, a lot of money, and then you go, shoot, it's all gone now because something ate it or wrecked it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I have done the trap thing for my voles. I'm I'm just at war with the voles in my yard. Mm -hmm. They've eaten my garden things, and I've done the trap thing, and... It isn't truly effective, so... No, it, that, that one's harder. The voles are a tough one. The voles and the chippies and the squirrels are kind of tough because <laughs> they're, to, they're hard to exclude. So sometimes you just have to do a few other things. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the, the things in what you have looked at and what you have done. One of the big ones I hear is rabbits. So let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about rabbits. They are so cute when they are babies. They're absolutely adorable, and as I drive my vehicle down the alleys in South Minneapolis, I usually wind up herding rabbits down the alley. Mm-hmm. That's how many rabbits we have in, in where I live. They're, the hawks and the owls and the coyotes just can't keep up with them because as as gardeners, we've we've grown these wonderful oases of, of beautiful plants and protected areas where the bunnies just have a free-for-all. They have an all-you-can-eat buffet. So we have to figure out what we can do. So we can grow plants they don't like. Things like the herbs, um, smelly plants, things like that. They don't really care for those. And those kind of plants also will hide other plants by their fragrance. Um, A mint can hide another plant so the bunnies might not even know about it. But the most effective way is just Learn to love chicken wire. Learn to love rabbit fencing. That's the most one of the most effective ways to screen your bunnies. And if you're planting a garden, put your plant, and within 10 minutes, put your fence up. And, and your garden should be safe because once your plants are up and growing, the bunnies will ignore them. But when they're nice and tender and luscious, it's just like, us humans in the spring, you know, we've had these heavy meals all winter long and we're just dying for some asparagus. The first asparagus comes into the stores and the farmer's markets and we practically mob them because we're so excited about green, fresh vegetables. Well, the bunnies are like that too. They've dealt with, you know, rose stems all winter long and now they get your fresh lilies first thing in the spring or the hosta. So so think like a rabbit, you know. I often joke because I've got this backyard shady area that's a hosta garden 
And oh, I, yeah. And it looks mm-hmm. like it's a little chicken wire uh, garden because mm-hmm. I have little round hoops of chicken wire around all these individual collectors' hosses that I have. And so, exactly. so in the winter now, it looks like it's a bunch of chicken wire fencing just mm-hmm. sticking up mm-hmm. out of the snow. You know, as a gardener, you just have to learn to love chicken wire. <laughs> and do. I keep telling people, like, I'm trying to start this movement where having chicken wire in your yard is really cool. So far, I'm the only one on it. But I'm hoping <laughs> somebody somewhere will, will jump on the bandwagon, too. Because chicken wire and just rabbit fencing, we can make them look pretty. You can spray them. You can make them be incorporated into your yard so they don't look so awful. Or you can just understand and see the beauty of that chicken wire saving that big, that big beautiful hosta. If we could look at it as art, perhaps. Art, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Or, or a wonderful, beautiful fence and just see the, the gorgeousness and those beautiful <laughs> interlocking, whatever they are, hexagon shapes and how beautiful that is and just go from it, go from there. Well, now, keeping critters and pests out of your yard and garden with heart is what you promote this book as. What mm-hmm. exactly is a pest? You know, to some people, they, they think bunnies and deer are awesome and they want more and they'll feed them and attract them to the mm-hmm. yard. So pest is in the mind of pest the beholder. Is- it's really in the mind of the beholder or in the gardener, what you're viewing. And there's a lot of people who even will say, you know, the bees or the wasps are pests. And to me, they're not a pest. And, and the birds can be a pest because they take the cherries. Well, then you just put in a few more cherry trees and you go out there really fast and get the ones on the low branches. They get the ones on the high branches. A, a pest is really how you look at it. And, and sometimes when you finally realize what they're bringing to your landscape, you can see that they're not really a pest. You can, you can appreciate them for other things, like how you appreciate chicken wire. Maybe you can appreciate the antics of the squirrels because you've managed to stop them from digging a few things. They're still going to wreck some stuff, but you can see how funny they are. Or you can say, hey, look at those squirrels. They're going to feed the, the hawks or the owls or something. Isn't that wonderful? I'm, I'm helping provide food for the raptors. You can think of it something like that. I haven't had a chance to read everything in detail. Mm-hmm. Do you talk about humanely trapping things in here? There, there is. Um, there's a small bit of that. Um, I, when people want to humanely trap things, first of all, you have to make sure it's legal because some animals you're not allowed to trap. It depends on what your county laws or your city laws are. Oh. So I would definitely contact your, your local um, animal control and, you know, can I trap squirrels? Can I trap this? And you want to think, if I trap this animal humanely, what am I going to do with it? Because if you trap a squirrel and you move that squirrel somewhere else, squirrels are territorial. Right. So you're moving it to a new territory where it has to fight for its food, and it probably will get into arguments and fights with other animals, other squirrels. Somebody's going to get hurt. It doesn't know where the food is, and also you're bringing your problem somewhere else. So in that case, if you really think that getting rid of the squirrel, you may want to humanely kill it rather than move it somewhere else because you don't want to bring your problems somewhere else but then two if you move that squirrel out of your territory three more will move in well true sometimes it's easier to deal with the pests you have and train them in a certain way but some animals you just are not legally allowed to trap and so you have to work around that that is one of the things they talked about in our Master Gardener class, I recall. And I just took the program in 2016 and became oh, certified. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm, I'm Do you like new, being a Master Gardener? I do. I, I absolutely oh, love, well, because I love gardening, of course. But they talked yeah. about how relocating these animals, as mm-hmm. you said, it's transplanting a problem to somebody else's yeah, it p- is. part. But mm-hmm. also that they are territorial and really you're, you're, 
you're kind of torturing them in a way because they've got to fight for their territory and they might just yep. end up being out on the edge of the road and get run over because they can't find any new territory for themselves. Right. So like you said, it's... Or they slowly starve to death. Yes. Or, or you know, right, or... Yeah, it's just it's just not good to be moving animals around. Plus, if if and this isn't the case for a lot of these animals, but there's diseases that you can move mm-hmm. from one area to another, or insects you move from one area to another. You know, ticks and things like that. You don't really want to be moving those to another area. Like opossums, they they almost collect ticks on their bodies. So they're really wonderful because they they don't get rabies, but opossums will eat the ticks. But if you take an opossum full of ticks that's full of deer ticks and move it somewhere else where they don't have a deer tick problem, now you've introduced deer ticks into that area. Plus an opossum that, that doesn't know where to find its food. So it's just it's just don't move animals. We we shouldn't move plants, we shouldn't move animals. Like you said, become friends with the chicken wire fence. Yeah, become friends with your chicken wire friends. You know, you you're, the animals that come to your yard, you can te- teach them, you can deter them. They will learn. Um, you know, sometimes like a raccoon, they're very smart, but they will learn. They're only going to live three years, so you'll have to retrain the next batch. How do you but train, you them? train how do you, them? Yeah, how do you train a wild animal is what I want to know. Well, you know, you you think, what does a wild animal want? It wants food, water, protection, a place to raise its young. So you want to not have some of those things in your yard or make them really uncomfortable. In a lot of cases, it's just maybe having a light that goes on or one of those water-activated scarecrow things that that bother the animals. So they just, you know, this is a problem to hang out in Teresa's yard because she's got all these lights or (laughs) she's got this scarecrow thing that gets me all wet or or she uses this smelly repellent and I don't care if she has good food here or not, I'm not going to stay here because this is just not a fun place to be. Or I grow things they don't like. Or I protect the things that I, I am growing. Um, you know, I, I won't even think about growing corn in the city because the squirrels and the raccoons will take it. So why would I do that? I'll just get that from the farmer's market. But I can use my yard for other things then. You talk about so have, how, you, how having a healthy mm-hmm. yard can attract beneficial things as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you have a healthy yard, it's just like if you're healthy and, and you're not stressed, you can repel a lot of diseases. You're not going to get the flus. You're not going to get the cold as regular, as, as easily. But if your yard's really healthy, then it has all this wonderful biodiversity and this elasticity to bounce back from things. So you get all these different critters in there. You get these different animals and nobody gets too many, too big of a population. Everything keeps each other in check. Your plants are good and healthy. They can, they can fight off um, some of the problems that they have. They won't get diseases. They don't get as sick. Um, they don't, because um, a sick plant will attract pests. It'll get diseases easily, more easily. So if you just have a really healthy yard, you have a lot less problems and it looks a lot prettier too. And sometimes, like you said, you maybe need to plant more and have a little feast for the the animals so you'll have enough for yourself. Right, right. You know, they they say, you know, if you're planting something, plant one for the birds and one for the animals and one for yourself and one for nature to to destroy. So, you know, you maybe plant four times as much or twice as much. And and just understand, you know, some years the squirrels are going to take all the apricots before you get to it. Deal with it. Maybe you'll get the apples instead, you know, or or learn how to deal with it. Have a variety. So you aren't just counting on one thing. You're counting on a whole bunch of different things and you can kind of just go with the flow because some years, you know, your tomatoes look good and some years they don't. So you just kind of have a variety of stuff and something's always going to be fun and you're going to lose some things and you just say, oh, wasn't that an interesting year my tomatoes did absolutely nothing oh joy but next year could be different so then you in other words next year could be different Teresa Rooney has a very high tolerance 
Exactly. And acceptance. I, you know, I have a very high tolerance and acceptance, and I'm a very lazy person because Mother Nature can do things a hundred times better than I can ever do it. So if I let her do it, that's where I can see the beauty. And and in one part of my book, I talk about like the leaf cutter bees and the ants. I just am so excited when I see those little half moons taken out of the rose leaves because I know somebody's using part of that leaf as it was meant to be used in a different way. And, and it adds more texture to the plant. And I just, that's so cool. Something's using my yard. I didn't get to see it, but something's using it. So just to me, it shows it's a healthier yard. And sometimes, a lot of times, the leaf cutters are there, but they're not going to kill your plant. And oh, that's... They, no, they don't kill the plant. And that's the thing. If, if we let nature do what it's going to do, nature is not going to have the insects kill the plants because then what will the insects eat? So, so there's, there's a balance, and we have to let nature reach that balance. And a lot of time by our stepping in, we wreck the balance. And it takes longer for nature to reach that balance. If we can just let nature come to that balance, that equilibrium, and just deal with some of the problems, then a lot of them just take care of themselves. I can hear there's going to be people out there listening that are cringing, saying, well, I want my perfectly manicured lawn. And that's that's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where it's going to be a little different than what you or I might think, because I know my other master gardener friend, she will talk about how she considers her yard a salad because it's got clover and things mixed Mm -hmm. in with it. And she's just come to accept that's the way it is and and it's benefiting Mm -hmm. the pollinators, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like as a woman, if you have a short haircut, you're going to have to take care of that short haircut more often than if you just have straight long hair and don't do much with it. If you have a yard that you want beautifully manicured and beautifully formal, you have to understand you are taking on a lot of work. And if you really get joy out of doing all that work, that's wonderful. So it just understand you're, it's, it's a give and take. What do you want? What's important to you? And if having things that you need to prune a lot and, and spray a lot and protect a lot and take care of a lot and water and fertilize, if that makes you happy because it's a beautiful thing, go for it. You know, just always read and follow the instructions. But if that is not your goal, then maybe you can look at beauty in another way. There's not, there's not a right or wrong way. It's whatever works for you. And, and I understand my yard would look horrendous to some people, but their real formal yards kind of give me the willies sometimes because they're too perfect. <laughs> and, and I know nature isn't that kind of a perfect. Nature's a different kind of perfect. But, you, but you just it's beauty in the eye of the beholder. You talk about planting strategically. What would that mm-hmm. mean to someone? Depending on their, of course, their goals. Sure, it depending upon what your goals are. Um, so, so it's a kind of a permaculture thing, and kind of just uh, observing what's going on in your yard and and what animals are going to take what, and IPM and thinking things through first. So you plant the things that you're gonna that you want to give a lot of attention to close to your house. You can protect them more easily. You can see the problems more quickly. Um, and, and they're like your more tender plants. But your plants that don't need as much care, maybe plant those a little further from the house. Or if you have a, a bed of beautiful plants, maybe surround that bed with some very fragrant herbs or some very beautiful ornamental grasses and make a nice barrier so that those luscious, good eating plants inside aren't as observ- aren't as um, available to the animals walking by the the deer or the bunny. Maybe they won't see them. They won't smell them. Um, just kind of think, how can I hide these 
these plants um, rather than planting a whole vegetable garden. Maybe you plant all your vegetables amongst your perennials so the insects can't find them as easily or the squirrels don't find every tomato to destroy because they'd have to go to all different places in your yard. Just kind of think it through a little bit. You mentioned herbs. Also, marigolds are another plant that a lot of things don't like the smell of. And nasturtiums mm-hmm. are another mm-hmm. repelling kind of plant that I've planted. And some attract beneficial mm-hmm. uh, insects and that sort of thing, like the borage that I've planted in the past, which is an herb as well. So I've, oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to incorporate some of that into mine because, like you said, sometimes you just have to do what you do what you can. Do what you can. And, and like your, your nasturtiums, you know, they're delicious, but they'll also attract some of those problem things. Like sometimes flea beetles really like nasturtiums. So if you have a problem with flea beetles, well, plant your nasturtiums a little bit away from the plants they're always going to. And, and the, the flea beetles will go over there and you say, oh, look, something's eating all my nasturtiums. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> they're not eating my beans. That's, exactly. what, that's why I leave some weeds around in my garden, because um, Doug Tallamy wrote a great book called uh, Bringing Nature Home and talks about how the native insects want the native plants. So I let some of the native weeds just kind of hang out in my yard and I see them all full of holes and being eaten. But my other plants are fine because the little insects wanted to eat those weeds instead of my plants. So so that, that works for me. So I can see that weed over there and maybe people would pull it up. But I say, hey, it's attracting that problem. So it's taking the problem off of my plate and putting it over there. And then I have this wonderful other plant that I really wanted to grow, and now it can grow without me having to worry about it. Let's talk about some repellents. I've used homemade repellents, and I've used Mm -hmm. store-bought repellents. And to me, one of the keys seems to be to switch it up. you got to switch it up. Animals live with humans. Humans stink. I mean, we have stinky (laughs) cars. We wear perfume. We have, you know, just human smells. They get used to the smells. And animals are not stupid. They'll understand that if they smell the same icky thing all the time, um, that's just how that, na- that environment is. So if all of a sudden you switch it up, maybe it's garlicky one month, and then the next month it's, um, I don't know, clovey, or the next month it's minty, or the next month it has this really chemical kind of a smell, or rotten eggs, the animals are a little bit, what's going on here? Maybe I don't want to go over there because it smells really weird. So, so you've got to switch it up because you've got to kind of keep them on their toes or their hooves or whatever they've got. You want to keep them, keep them thinking all the time. How often do you do that? Because I, like I said, I've bought some commercial things where they're not harmful in terms of being chemicals. They're usually some mm-hmm. natural, just something stinky and spray mm-hmm. it around. And then do you do it every week, every other week or how often? You know, You've got to read and follow the instructions, and this is where it also helps to know what your environment's doing. As gardeners, we kind of just become attuned to our gardens and our environment. So you know if you've had a really hot, hot spell, a lot of times those spray things will dissipate more quickly. Or if it's really cold, they don't, they're not as strong, so you have to apply them more quick, more often. Or if you have a lot of heavy dews because you're out there every morning with your cup of coffee, wandering through your garden and your feet get soaking wet every morning, you know that that there's heavy dews. It's almost like a heavy rain, so you're going to have to reapply those repellents. But if you just have like an average long spell where it's not super hot, it's not really wind, um, really wet, it just is kind of dry, those repellents will last a little bit longer. But as you visit your garden every day, you can suddenly see that, oh, something was nibbling here last night. I need to now change it up because you, you spot yeah. that problem right away. And in your book, I know you've got some recipes. Make your own repellents, make your Mm -hmm. own deterrent sprays to make at home. And most of them are Mm -hmm. pretty common ingredients, everything from Tabasco sauce to garlic to raw eggs. 
And there, there is stuff you have at soap. home, and you can use them. And and it, the soap is a soap, not a detergent, because a detergent removes oils. You know, oh. Dawn detergent removes the oils off of the the animals that get stuck in the oil spills. So you definitely don't want to be removing plant oils off, because plants have oils oh. that protect their leaves. So you want to use a soap. Um, and and just always when you're test, you know, t- make up the the uh, the. the whatever you're going to make up, but then spray it on something on a leaf or two and give the plant a day to respond um, just in case the plant for some reason is really sensitive to something in that in oh, that concoction okay. that you've made. And never spray in the hot sun um, because you don't want to sunburn the plant. So spray it first thing in the morning or, for, or in the evening. And you also have to be careful for pets. We have cats, but we, of course, never let them outside. But I do know people who do let them out. And you want to make sure you're using natural things so you don't harm your own or somebody else's pets. And I think that's something to, like poisons, for example, may be helpful, but they're going to hurt something else. And plus, when those animals die, they really Mm -hmm. stink. Right, right, and and if you if you're using like a rat or a mouse poison, a lot of that um, it's you know that can can kill a dog if they eat that found that dead animal and they eat it, or you'll kill a hawk or an owl or something like that. So you're kind of like concentrating that poison in the system, and you don't want to do that. So you want to make sure if you're using a poison that that animal you can catch you you get that animal as soon as it's dead and you dispose of it properly because you don't want it dying like in your walls or have your dog eat a a poisoned animal that just would not be good because then it would kill them too probably it could kill them or make them very sick and or cause a lot of vet bills later on and there's no reason for that you know in the book Mm -hmm. you also talk about calling in a professional basically saying eradicate everything but once you eradicate it they're going to come back, so you're really not ever going to be free of, of no, pests. No, there's you know, and there's always going to be something, but um, there are times where you might need to call in a professional. Maybe you have wasps in the wall, or you have bats um, in the attic, or something where you want to have them safely removed, or or you have a um, a bee a beehive, a wild bee colony has has um, have has maybe made something in your yard and it's just not safe. So you have a beekeeper come in and take that out. Um, yeah, but if you remove everything, nature abhors a vacuum, and she'll fill it up with stuff for you. And sometimes that might not be all the stuff you want. What did you ever do to solve your raccoon problem? The raccoons and I, we have an ongoing issue. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I try to get home before it's dark so I can lock up the chickens. I just make sure there's no food ever left out for the raccoons because I was doing that anyway. Um, I had a little problem with a bunch of new baby raccoons. They were so adorable this summer. A little a little family of five would come and visit me and the chickens. and I would yell at them and they would just look at me and then walk closer because they were so gosh darn cute. But one of them that did eventually kill my chicken, one of my chickens. Um, so I just, I just use, um, um, I do have some smelly stuff that I will put down and then I just um, keep my chickens under lock and key um, at night when the raccoons are out and just, and I also have a baby monitor in my chicken coop so I can hear if anything's trying to get in there. Well, I have a little pond, a little koi pond that I also plant garden plants in, Mm -hmm. which I I absolutely love. One year, this was several years ago, I looked out in my backyard. It's not that far from the house. There was a big blue heron out there, and I had a fish that was amazing, Um, you know, a a koi that had grown through the Mm -hmm. years because I'd buy them small. And sure enough... It, you fed the heron. I fed the heron. And so now when it gets that time when we know they're going to migrate, my husband will take this netting and we put the netting across the pond because yep. that's the only way to do it. 
that is for the herons. You, you've got to do that for the for the herons and the and the birds that take the fish. You've <laughs> got to put the bird netting out. It also stops um, other birds from falling in. And also, if you put it out um, just before the leaves start falling, the leaves don't wind up in the pond. They wind up oh, on the netting. True. So it's easier to clean your pond. So you don't have as much scummy stuff to clean out of your pond afterwards, all the, all the fallen leaves. And then with your, with your fish, you want to ha- make sure that there's a ledge um, so that they can hide from the raccoons. And, and if it's deep enough, it should be, on, like, I believe, on the deep edge. So because the raccoons aren't going to jump in the water and swim around after the fish usually. Um, but, um, but if there's a ledge, where they can go far enough under the raccoons can't can't reach under there and get them. So you want to make sure that there's places where they can hide again, just like they would in the wild. There'd be a deep overhanger, there'd be a deep rock they could hide behind, so the predator couldn't get them. The the, the my biggest problem though is the voles and and the mice, and I know they're pretty much found everywhere. Mm-hmm, and one mm-hmm. thing you mentioned too is is cleaning up around your place like if you've got wood piles and I do do have some for like a little fire pit and things like yep, that. Mm-hmm. They tend to love that. And I've got compost piles where we throw food scraps and that's been attracting sure. them as well. So mm-hmm. so what is your suggestions? There's um oh the, I just I just forgot the name of it. It's um it's by I think Bonide and it's not mouse away. It's mouse magic I think. That stuff is amazingly really? wonderful. Um it smells kind of um kind of minty or, or has a nice herbal smell and I usually throw a packet or two into the chicken coop during the okay. winter time. It gives it a nice fragrance. And so that's really good to use in your like your cars that you're storing or your barbecue that you're not going to use all winter. Throw it in there so the mice aren't in there. They just don't like that peppermint smell. Um, so that works really well. The, the fragrances will work really well to repel them. I'm cleaning up their spots and if you can, you know, invite some of those predators in. If, if you know you have hawks around, make it nice for the hawks to come, you know, give them a place to sit if you can leave a snag up for them or or if you know there's a fox let the fox come around or or something like that but yeah do clean up some of some of the messier areas understand though that you're also when you clean up those areas maybe you won't get little salamanders living in there or little frogs too so it's kind of a give and take you know what's what do you want to live in there and what don't you want it's what like you said what you can tolerate maybe it is it's really what you can tolerate. <laughs> and I think it's going to change because as our climate changes, we're going to be encountering new animals and insects. And mm-hmm. and we know how to deal with some of the current visitors, but we'll use this knowledge to deal with new challenges. And I think you talk about that in your book as well. I do. And, and you know, 10 years ago here in the cities, we didn't really have opossums. Now we have opossums all yep. everywhere. And that's just in the last 10, 12 years that we've really seen an increase. So, so if we can learn to deal with these animals and just get kind of in the mindset of how can I deal and have a beautiful ecological garden and a sustainable garden and deal with um, all the critters that come in. When new critters come in, you kind of have a good idea, you know, oh, that's of this kind of critter. Now I know how to handle that. And and part of the, the thing I've, I've done, and I just kind of like did one of those head slapping moments. I was getting frustrated with the critters visiting my yard. Um, my yard is a national wildlife habitat, certified oh, habitat. Okay. So, so I created it to invite animals in and then I was complaining that the animals were there so I had to think that one through again I was my own worst enemy but now we're reaching that happy happy equilibrium and things are fine but I did have to have a little laugh at myself that I had done that and not thought the whole thing through carefully we are talking with Teresa Rooney the author of The Guide to Humane Critter Control, Natural Non-Toxic Pest Solutions to Protect Your Yard and Garden. I want to thank you for your time. Where can people find your new thank book? Thank you, Karen. 
Um, I know it's on Amazon, and I'm not 100% sure. I'm, I'm a brand new author, so I just haven't gotten into this author stuff yet. Mm-hmm. But I know it's on Amazon. I'm sure you can get it in other local bookstores or ask your local bookseller to carry it. But I know it's on Amazon for sure. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. And, Thank uh, you, Karen. I appreciate it. Wish you good luck with your critters. Thank you, and good luck with all your mice and voles. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> Thank bye. you.